This is when Isaiah was commissioned by God. It's a really fantastic story, but we're only going to hear two verses of it today. Isaiah 6, verses 6 through 8. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. At this point, we're going to turn the rest of the service over to our guest speaker and minister this morning. We're so thankful for her being here. I've heard a lot about you, and we're just lucky to have Shauna Teruso with us as our guest today. Please welcome her. So I don't know if you've all noticed how busy Dale has been this morning. He started off turning pages back there. He then came over to do the welcome, went over to play bells, and then came back here. That's what you call outstanding service. <laughs> Thank you, Dale. So those of you who caught last week's sermon will remember that we explored the idea of calling through the lens of Jonah, who was called to be a prophet, a spokesperson for God. And so today we're going to dive much deeper into the prophets and the whole gift of prophecy. This is very important because the prophetic tradition is foundational to the Christian faith. Both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament are full of prophetic proclamations and actions. We have four major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then 12 minor prophets, And in addition to that, we have many, many other individuals who demonstrated prophetic gifts and had prophetic experiences. The prophets were a very bizarre bunch, though. They were nonconformists and highly eccentric. You know, there's Ezekiel, who ate a scroll, had very strange visions, and then at one time lay down on his left side for 390 days, and then got up and turned over to lay on his right side for another 40 days. And then there's Isaiah, who walked around Jerusalem naked and barefoot for three years in protest against Egypt and Cush. And then there's Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, who made a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on his neck and then found himself in a situation with the false prophet Hananiah, who took the yoke off his neck and broke it. Jeremiah then told Hananiah, you are going to die, and he did. This is the same Jeremiah who not only hid his loincloth, or underwear, in the cleft of a rock, but then went back to retrieve his dirty underwear after many days. And there is so much more. It's no surprise then that in the introduction to his book on the prophets, 
Abraham Heschel describes prophets as some of the most disturbing people who have ever lived. Not only were their actions eccentric, bizarre, and extreme, their words escalated things to a whole other level. Their proclamations were raw, wild, harsh, full of all sorts of emotions, but mostly deep grief and burning anger. So listen to these words from Jeremiah. Oh, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the agony of my heart. My heart pounds within me. I cannot keep silence. Disaster follows disaster. The whole land lies in ruins. My people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. They know not how to do good. But the prophets also spoke of restoration and of hope. Listen to these words from Isaiah. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The prophets were God's bold and outrageous spokespeople. They had deep, intimate relationships with God, and this is what empowered them to speak authoritatively on God's behalf. They knew God's heart. The prophets felt God's grief, anger, and pain at injustice and unrighteousness. But they also felt God's deep love for the people of Israel. The prophets were seers, watchmen, who saw what was wrong and got quite frustrated when others couldn't see what they saw. Their strong desire for justice and their understanding of their calling drove them to speak truth to power and to boldly confront evil. Here's Isaiah. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They desperately wanted Israel to understand where they were going wrong, to turn away from sin and be righteous, God's holy people. Here's Isaiah again. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. As you can well imagine, the messages of the majority of the prophets were not received very well. Prophets were ridiculed and often rejected. Some were abandoned by their family and friends. Others were whipped and put in stocks, imprisoned, persecuted, regularly threatened with death, and some were killed. The prophets knew the risks, but they also knew that they had a crucial calling. Their goal was to get Israel to repent and restore its relationship with God. The prophets also prophesied about a coming Messiah, a savior for Israel, an anointed prince, a prince of princes, a wondrous advisor, 
a foundation stone, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a shepherd, a prophet. Malachi, the last prophet to speak in the Hebrew Bible, proclaimed, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then after that, there was 400 years of silence where no prophet spoke in Israel. And then behold, we have a return to the bizarre and eccentric with a guy who hangs out in the wilderness wearing camel hair clothing, eating locusts and wild honey, and who calls the people who have come to be baptized a brood of vipers. John, echoing what Malachi had said and quoting the prophet Isaiah, said, prepare the way, make straight paths for him. And then John did what prophets do and got himself in big trouble. But then enters Jesus the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus, Son of Man, Jesus, Son of God, God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel. The way had been prepared. But Jesus was not born into the priestly or elite class. Instead, he was a carpenter, the son of Mary, the unwed mother, and Joseph. Jesus, the prophet, started his public ministry by reading from Isaiah in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus then, as you know, followed in the long-established tradition of the prophets and worked on the very last nerves of the rulers and leaders of the synagogues, irritating them to no end. But the people, of course, loved him, and they followed him around, absorbing his countercultural teachings and experiencing miraculous healings. They described him as the prophet from Nazareth, And Jesus acknowledged and accepted his role as a prophet, knowing full well the challenges and dangers it brought. Jesus, the seer, the watchman, saw those who had been excluded, the untouchables and the sinners, and accepted and welcomed them. Jesus, the challenger, spoke truth to power and called out the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. Jesus, the bearer of hope and spokesperson for God, preached about hope, a new way that somehow was here already and was also yet to come, the kingdom of God. Jesus, the disturber, picked up a whip and overturned tables in the temple courts. Jesus, who knew that no prophet is accepted in his hometown, then died a prophet's death. Jesus and the prophets before him, these most disturbing people who have ever lived, had no worldly power, but they understood the power of words. Yes, they were outlandish and eccentric and used dramatic and disturbing actions to get their message across, but their real power 
was in the choice of their words. We all know too well how much power words have. Politicians win elections by the power of their words. Slogans, propaganda, and spin have the power to brainwash people. Words can be used to rile up people into a frenzy, to stir up hatred, and to incite violence. And we've all seen that play out. And you know, when I stop and think about the current state of Christianity, it's not a pretty picture. Great damage has been done by unholy alliances between pastors and politicians. Congregations and communities have been manipulated by slick words and fear-mongering in order to allegedly promote Christian values, but really to further political agendas. Christian nationalism has emerged as an evil manifestation of white supremacy in the supposed body of Christ, most evidently displayed in all the Christian symbols and rituals used in the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Racial slurs and hate speech, racial stereotypes and microaggressions come from some of the same mouths that claim to praise God. Words can be used to incite hatred, violence, and destruction. But words can also be used to stop violence and destruction, to hold oppressors accountable, and to heal emotional, spiritual, or physical violence. Words can bring life Words can spread love, and words can inspire hope. God's spokespeople, the the seers, the truth-tellers, the prophets, are essential for the proper functioning of the body of Christ. Where are our prophets? They are essential. You know, when Jeremy asked me to preach back in October, I told him that I wanted to preach about the prophets, and by then I already had um, this sermon in mind. But I've also been a follower of Father Richard Raw and the Center for Action and Contemplation for probably about 10 years now. I buy all their books, use their resources, and receive their daily meditations. And so in one of those God coincidences, on New Year's Day, I discovered that the Center for Action and Contemplation had chosen for its theme for the whole of 2023, the prophetic path. And so I'm going to use Father Richard Raw's words to describe what this is. The prophetic path invites us to face reality for what it is. And together we will weep, grieve, hope, heal, and stand in solidarity with the suffering of the world. The prophet's path is to let go of illusion and topple false gods. Prophets are disruptors of the social consensus. They keep humanity free for God and God free for humanity. End of quote. So all of us here as followers of Jesus, are called to the prophetic path. All of us have the power to use our words to influence those around us. No matter our profession, stage of life, or our personality, 
soft-spoken people, you can do it too. We all have spheres of influence that we inhabit, where we can use our words well, to speak up for justice, to speak in love, to heal what is broken in our world. Let's understand this power that we have. Let's use it well, just as Jesus and the prophets before us did. This is our calling as people of God. I'm going to close with yesterday's prayer from the Center for Action and Contemplation, which to me is just perfect. So let us pray. Holy God, together we ask for the courage for each of us to approach the prophetic path today and in the days to come. God of the great gaze, we humans prefer satisfying untruth to the truth that is always unsatisfying. The truth is always too big for us, and we are so small and afraid. So you send us prophets and truth speakers to open our eyes and ears to your big picture. Show us how to hear them, how to support them, and how to interpret their wisdom. Help us to trust that your prophetic voice may also be communicated through our words and actions. May we practice a spirit of discernment and a stance of humility so that your spoken truth may be spoken and not our own. We ask this in the name of Jesus the prophet, whom we also killed and will always kill, in the name of our little truths. Help us, for we desire to share in your great gaze. Amen.